Welcome, welcome. You're listening to our podcast, Two Massage Therapists in a Microphone. My name is Mark. I'm registered massage therapist, registered kinesiologist here in Toronto, Ontario, Canada. We've got a real cool guest on our phone today. Where Virginia, Virginia. Virginia. Yeah. yeah. Formerly from New York, hanging out in Virginia. Yeah. Hey everyone, it's Amanda. And we have Dominique on the phone. And she is a licensed massage therapist in Virginia. But yes, as Mark said, from New York. And uh, she has a really interesting story and an interesting career path that she took took to get to massage therapy and uh, she reached out to us because she wanted to talk about massage since it's something she's really passionate about and I really really like this topic because we're talking about how freaking awesome this industry is. Dom was able to take two careers which are wildly different which you'll hear soon from her and build a life that she gets to do a bunch of things she loves because of the flexibility that you're afforded when you work in this type of field. So um, yeah, today's like a really uh, fun episode. It's I think a feel I need, good. Yeah, I need the feel good episode right now. You know now. what? It's a good thing that we're doing a little bit of a feel good. Like we just came off of a feel good sensation. We we were, um, the Canadian RMT conference is going to be virtual this September. And uh, the Monica and Scott, they organized this whole thing and they did a two day summit, you know, kind of testing out the platform and everything else. And we were involved in uh, uh, presenting on that. We're still in that feel-good mode because, you know, we're getting RMTs, massage therapists back together, you know, even if it's in virtual space. So let's just keep the feel-good shit going. Yeah. Well, thank you, Dom, for hanging out with us this afternoon on a Friday. Thank you guys for having me. Anytime. We're we're BFFs now, right? Yes. <laughs> we're BFFs. We're best fucking friends forever. Or is it best friends for fucking ever? No, I gotta go back and watch the movie. What movie is that from? Super is it super I don't know. I thought you made that up. No, it's this entire movie. time that we've been saying that to each other, I just thought you made it up. No, I was giving sure. you credit the entire time. <laughs> no, man, I gotta Google that. I'm pretty sure it's from it's from one of them Seth Rogen movies. Well, you Google for everybody listening, uh, Dom. Can you introduce yourself and give us a little bit of a backstory on how you got here? Okay. Well, I'm Dom. Um, Dominique to the the rest of the world. I am a freelance journalist and massage therapist. I started writing at a very young age. I started writing at the age of eight. My journey has been a wild and crazy experience. I like to call it my journey from silence. I was hearing impaired for the first four years of my life. So that was an interesting experience in itself. And then after overcoming that deficiency in my childhood, I started writing because as much as I love my childhood, I started seeing some things that I was not supposed to see as a child. And it just took a toll on me. And I just needed an, an outlet for me to express myself. And okay, whoa, 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 whoa. Let's back this whole thing up. Dom, every time we yeah. talk to you, we learn new things. Let's let's <laughs> let's back this up. We we need to know a little <laughs> bit more about the whole thing. So the hearing impaired as a child. Mm-hmm. Tell, tell me a little bit about that. Yes. What are we talking about here? Okay, so from six months until I was four years old, I was deaf as a child. I didn't hear. I couldn't talk. It was a difficult time for my family. My mother was um, a college student finishing her college education when it's all endured. My father was in the street hustling, unfortunately, and lost his life when I was one years old. So I didn't know my biological father. Whoa. Oh. But, um, Hustle, hustling how? Hustling how? Pharmaceutical. 
you know you know you, yeah. you do what you got to do to make things work i get it man so can i ask yeah. you a question dom i know that doctors never actually really fully understood why you were unable to hear that's still sort of a mystery to you right how did they know yeah. at six months that you were hearing impaired did your mother actually get you tested or did people just start to notice that you were not responding to noises or when when you were spoken to uh, it was it was my family not recognizing my development it was my grandmother and my aunt my mother's little sister mm-hmm. that realized that I wasn't responding to you know if they say certain things or I wasn't giving eye contact it, right. that that's when they realized something was wrong and then that's when they brought it to my mother's attention and that's when they started completing all these different tests and they couldn't find nothing like wow no history of of hair infection ear infections nothing no type of anything and um, it was difficult for my mom because she couldn't even potty train me. Like she had to take me to a school called the New York Childhood Center in New York. And they had to potty train me and just learn different methods, you know, while I was going through that difficult time for my family. Like I said, my mother was a college student. So a lot of times either, you know, my grandparents, my godmothers or my sister dad really took me to my my you know, appointments with different specialists while she was in school and everything. So she had a lot of help, even though it was a difficult situation. Like she really had a lot of help from, you know, my family, especially my grandparents. And the moment that my family started realizing that I was able to hear one day, my grandmother said I was pulling out the hearing aid. And that's when they said, oh, my God, like she's really pulling out these hearing aids. So you legitimately just started to hear like there was no treatments or therapy. It was just suddenly no, no. you're hearing. Mm-hmm. Wow. That's crazy. Yeah. It's so crazy. And they and they and they bought, you know, my my grandmother told my mother they did a final meeting, you know, a father and press, you know, for the audiologist. And the audiologist told my mother that the highest decibel is a 10 and Dominique is an 8. So I was hearing. So my grandmother and my mother was like, okay, so why she's not talking? And they was like, all of that will come. And they asked, and my mother asked them, do she need, you know, special education due to this disability? And she was, they were like, no, she just needs extensive speech and she can continue to be enrolled in general education classes. So from, I graduated from the New York Childhood Center and after that, the rest was history. Wow. And when I hear that story in myself, like I obviously I wouldn't remember, but it just makes me very humble and very blessed. And you know, it just reminds me if I'm when I'm going through certain things, like if I could overcome that, then. I have to overcome. Yeah, for sure. It's just a perfect reminder. Well, we sort of cut you off. And I know that you were getting into sort of how you started writing. And based on, you know, discussions we've had, your uncle had a big part in that. So let's talk about Mm -hmm. how you you started writing at only eight years old. Yeah, I started writing eight years old. Uh, That's when I took it seriously. I wrote my first letter at seven years old. I wrote my first letter to my mother. And um, she kept it for so many years. I don't even know if she kept it now, but oh, she she kept it. <laughs> she kept it. She, kept she um she 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 kept it, and um I'll be surprised. You know, I wouldn't be surprised if she didn't. But when I first gave it to her at seven, you know, and the things that I was saying, she was just like, "Wow!" Like you know, you could tell like the handwriting was in second grade, but my message was not second grade. And do you remember any part of that letter? I remember just telling how much I loved her and. Just understanding how she, how certain times that she had to be hard on me, and that I couldn't take it personal. Mm. Like I remember just the content of the the letter that I wrote her, and at eight years old, you know, I started 
life started happening at such an early age. Like I started feeling, you know, my first taste of hurt at eight. And when that's when my, my sister, sister, father, my mother split up. So that really hurt me for a long time. And I just didn't know how to express it. I didn't know how to deal with it. And it just started really taking a toll. And my uncle Ricky, who's like the creative, you know, innovator of our family, I really believe he should have did, you know, partake in another profession because he was just so talented with his storytelling. And um, he's just very, like, just knowledgeable, especially with the health sciences, with plants, and you know, Chinese medicine and shiatsu. So I, he was at my grandmother's house one day and he just told me like to use his platform to express yourself. Like that's part of being a writer is storytelling. And I was just very fortunate that I was very close to his daughters, um, Yanni and Fatima, especially my cousin Yanni, who is a profound writer. So I was always around that and it just expanded, you know, my platform to write. And I was in the fourth grade and that's when I decided to be a journalist because my fourth and fifth grade teacher, Ms. Ella Adrigado, said, you have something on your hands and you really need to take this seriously. Whatever we have to do to make sure that you, you constantly work on your writing and your speech, we're, I'm, I'm all for it because she saw the vision as well. And then when I decided to be a journalist, BET had a show called Teen Summit. And I just loved how the television personalities were able to deliver such a profound message to the viewers. Like I thought that journalists were authors to the world. And that's how like my my writing and journalism journey began, just from those conversations alone. I started writing poetry. I started writing short stories. And then by the time I was 16, I was I published my first article and I interviewed my first celebrity artist, which was Drake, when he was on the cast of Degrassi. So that was an amazing yes, experience. Toronto. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yes, Toronto. Yes, Degrassi. Why are you laughing at me? Why are you laughing at me? I'm, I used to watch the original nobody's Degrassi. Nobody's laughing, laughing at you. I, I heard a bunch of people just laughing. Well, I'm a little bit too young for the original <laughs> Degrassi, but yet somehow I feel a little bit too old for like the next generation. So I didn't really are. watch any of it. <laughs> yeah, but the next generation kind of kind of pulled in people that were in the original because it had some of the same characters, mm-hmm. right? Snake was still there. Caitlin mm-hmm. was still there. Mm-hmm. Were those the only two that were? So Joey. Joey was Joey, Joey was, was in it. Yeah. Joey. So mm-hmm. I'm going down memory lane right now. Yes. Where's my fedora? Where's my fedora? Well, like Mark knows, <laughs> my grandparents actually grew up one street away from the actual Degrassi. So I always knew of Degrassi. Like because, you mean the school where it was shot? Yes. Gotcha. So I um and my my grandmother was my my um, caregiver when I was younger like when my mother went back to work I think I was two so my grandmother took care of me while my mom worked and so yeah I, I sort of grew up in that neighborhood so I knew of Degrassi because it was a famous neighborhood did they shoot that because originally it was Degrassi junior high when they were in junior high school and then when they all got older they all went to high school because their their junior high burnt down and so everyone that mm. you don't remember this do you I don't Every okay so they, they were at like prom or something and then someone there was a fire right so everyone that was going from grade eight into high school well they were leaving the school right but then mm-hmm. there was a fire at the school on prom night so therefore everyone that was in grade seven that was going into grade eight now they don't have a school to go to so they moved it all into degrassi high so you have all of these now grade eights that are in degrassi i wonder high if that school. actually happened <laughs> so but that was the show so originally it was degrassi junior high then it became degrassi high and then i think it went to you know, Degrassi, the next generation or next class or something along those. I don't remember. And 
then Drake was on there. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And Dom, you got to interview Drake. And how old were you when that happened? Yeah. And how old was he? I was 16 and he was 20, but he was playing um, a senior on Degrassi, The Next Generation. Right, right, right. So, was he into yeah, music? He was, 17. Was, was he doing music then or no? I mean, he probably was doing music the whole time, but. Yeah, he was. He was in the, like, that was in the early stages of his rap career. Like, right, right, right. And, yeah, Can like, I ask you a question? Was, this was 2007 when I did that. Was he a dick in 2007 or was he a nice guy? Nice guy. Yeah. <laughs> I feel, I feel like, like there's a little that. bit of hesitation there. Like, wait a second. Well, well, okay. not, I can't diss Drake. <laughs> no, but it's, but it's not even that. I mean, I know, I mean, because I mean, I, I say that because I, I know from interviewing celebrities, like when celebrities are around journalists, they have to put their poker face on. Exactly. You know, I, I only could go on what I see when they're in front of me. Right. Exactly. Now, when the lights go off, and I'm done with the recorder, I don't know. But all I know is when they're in front of me mm-hmm. and how they present it to me, then that's what I, I have to base on that. Were you starstruck be. that first interview um, at 16 years old? Were you like, I, holy I shit? Was. Yeah. I, I was. It was just, a, it was the cat, it was the cast alone. Like you said, like they had the original Degrassi, but Degrassi, the next generation was such a profound show. It's a massive. And they talked mm-hmm. about, yeah, they talked about a variety of different subjects yeah. that most talk shows or teen sitcoms don't really want to talk about, but they talked about everything. This started way back when whoever were the original writers and producers of the original Degrassi, and I'm talking about, this is like in the 80s, they hit up so many topics that no one would ever touch. They hit up things like drug abuse and overdose, teen pregnancy, suicide, Mm -hmm. like stuff that you don't see on Mm -hmm. after school television shows. Yeah, exactly. I wasn't seeing that on Saved by the Bell. Exactly. That's exactly (laughs) it, right? So it became this very real thing that talked about real stuff. And that's what a lot of people identified with. And then everyone in Toronto kind of understands what this is all about because it's from our hometown, right? But then when it Mm -hmm. starts to get this massive cult following is when it's really kind of trippy. That's when it's the most trippy. Like you have people like are big time people like Kevin Smith and and Jason Mewes, the guys from Jay and Silent Bob, you know, those two dudes. And Kevin Smith writes a whole bunch of stuff and he was in love with Degrassi, the original series. And he was actually on a whole bunch of episodes for the next generation, right? It's got this massive Mm -hmm. cult following. The story writing on that was so so good and so ahead of what tv was doing at that time it was brilliant Mm -hmm. well we really just spent a lot of time talking about degrassi but that's okay we're from toronto we have to we have to (laughs) we had to give some some credit i just i just think everybody had their favorite character on degrassi you know and it was the and the crazy part is you know from the first i would say the first from the first season to seven seasons, I feel like everybody recycled each other. Like every one person was going with another person and then it was a friend of somebody else. And then it was just like a big triangle. Like with, with Drake's character, Jimmy, he did from Ashley to Hazel back to Ashley, yeah. back to somebody else. It was just like because, a whole, because that was really what high school <laughs> was real like. life. Yeah. That was, yeah, it was about though. that. That show was real life high school in Toronto, Ontario, Canada. And apparently in New York. I just love how <laughs> New York. Yes. Tell us where you're from, Dom. Where are you from? New York. <laughs> New York. I love it. So, okay, you... Can I ask one more question, yes. though? About Is the... it about Degrassi? No, it's about the, it's about the writing. It's about the writing. I was going to talk about the writing, but yeah. <laughs> you're a writer, and you knew you wanted to be a writer from way back when. Is that something... Yeah 
that everyone can do? Is everyone a writer, or does everyone have the capability of being a writer, or is it like not? Uh, 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 there's a special place inside that only exists in a certain amount of people that actually makes you a writer. I think everybody can be a writer, but many, not many, are chosen. I think it has to come within you. I know there's some people that are writers that started learning along the way. And I think there's some people like myself that knew that this is what they were born to do, that they were destined to do, and that they have to keep working on it. Because you don't want to have that attitude, oh, I'm this gifted writer and I never have to work. That's not the true purpose of a writer. A writer is always working. Like, they're always writing. They're always willing to challenge themselves. They're always willing to advance. Yeah, I think that's one of the best things about being a writer is that you're never afraid to grow. Well, you know, the the cliche, you know how, you know, the cliche thing that we all say to all of our children, you can be anything you want to be. That statement is true to a degree. Mm-hmm. You can be anything mm-hmm. you want to be if you have the drive and the passion for it. Could I write if I wanted to mm-hmm. write? Yeah, maybe. But if it's not this mm-hmm. burning desire inside of me to sit down and as Dom says and yeah. work on it because do I have creative thoughts? Maybe, but for her mm-hmm. it was something that was an outlet. She loved to do it. She was passionate about it. So when you're passionate about something, you're going to work really hard at it and that's when you mm-hmm. the gift is really visible to other people because you're able yeah. to express yourself and get it out in a way that is also relatable and appealing to other people. Somebody who doesn't really care that much, okay. it's it's not going to I translate. Think I think same. I'm wondering more about okay, so for example, musicians because I play music. There are people that are just mm-hmm. natural musicians. Yep. They're born musicians. They've yes. never taken a yes. music lesson in their life, yes. but somehow they Absolutely. identify with music. They identify with instruments, and they can play mm-hmm. and innately instinctively they understand music and musical theory right and then you have people that definitely study music and then they become great performers Mm -hmm. or great composers or all the rest of it but that's really Mm -hmm. different from someone who has never played a guitar picked up a guitar and is a whiz at it is a master at it and that's like that's when you were born to do that so when it comes down to the writing how much of it for you is I'm studying writing I'm understanding writing and I'm, I'm, I'm making my writing better as I go along or how much of that was like it's really just innately part of me I think 60% of it was innately in me like I said before I come from a lot of family that was very gifted in a lot of different ways artistically um my uncle Ricky my cousins even my mother like my mother just knew like just certain avenues like she knew she was going to be educated like it was vested in her and it's, it's, it's what we choose to do with it. You know, just because you have something in you innate, that doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to follow with it due right. to whatever personal issues that you feel like, okay, maybe this isn't for me. Or maybe like, oh, this is just too much than what I expected. And back to like the music is what, of course, what you said is true. Like there's so many talented people, especially in R&B, like the DeBarge family, they never touched a, a music, they never studied any music at all they just learned by ear and and back in those days they couldn't they couldn't do it because they couldn't afford to like their family had 10 kids so it was like each sibling was learning from one another but you could tell from that musical family that it was an innate desire for them to be in music and to play their music and still to this day they're like one of the most sampled acts to this day like everybody has sampled a debarge song at some point in their career so I think the same thing goes for writing, you know, there's, and, it, and the best thing about writing, there's so many different categories oh, yeah. of writing, yeah. you know, 
So that's another thing that you have to take into consideration. And, and I think that's when the 40% plays in when you're learning other forms of writing. You have to work on your mechanics of writing. That's when the 40% come in. But I just knew that this was going to be a way for me to express myself. Like that was an innate way for me to express myself. And, and it was up to me to continue to work on it and be the best that I could be in it. The arts for me are so fascinating. Well, that's what I think with anything, any kind of art, anything creative, I think there has to be a, a portion of it that is innate. You have to have some sort well, of certain, God-given ability. There are innate characteristics that need to be there. Yes. But I was wondering if, if there's a, a large portion of it that it's super, super natural. So, for right. example, like actors, right? Or any anyone that's in acting. Mm-hmm. I mean, some people are just they just do it effortlessly, right? They're able to be mm-hmm. somebody else and take on a whole other personality. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. It, it, they're able to do that very, very well without studying crazy acting. But then there's other people that need mm-hmm. to study that yeah, crazy absolutely. acting. Yeah, absolutely. I wonder if so your hearing impairment did play a part of it. I mean, when you're not, you're not observing the world the same way as the majority of people, right? You were relying on mm-hmm. your other senses because you weren't hearing. Mm-hmm. So... I, you know, and that not probably even that, played the, a huge the not speaking, part. And not speaking, right? Exactly. So the, now, now it's mm-hmm. it's it's almost feels like it's manifested into this other mode of communicating things that happen inside my brain. You probably had so many interesting things to say, but you couldn't communicate yeah. them. And then, yeah. you know, as your family encouraged you to use your writing as an outlet and to express yourself and write things down. I guess people started to recognize that one, you had a, an innate ability for storytelling and you were able to get your thoughts down on paper. Like I have a daughter who's six and we journal. Um, I try to do it mm-hmm. nightly. I'm not going to lie. I'm very bad at remembering until it's five minutes before bedtime. But when mm-hmm. we sit down to do journal, I will tell her, you know, just write, tell me about your day, you know, write four sentences mm-hmm. describing your day. Cause I'm, you know, just to sort of encourage her to actually yeah. be able to make her own sentences and we're practicing her writing. And I find that she struggles to even put the sentences together. So it's very, very impressive at seven years old that you can write an entire letter to your mother expressing your feelings and, and, and being able to actually show that you comprehend what's going on at seven. Because again, mm-hmm. like I said, at six, I find it, you know, she still struggles to put down a sentence of what she did today and she just lived that experience. Mm-hmm. So I, I definitely think there's something really innate in that. Versus she will create a whole story behind her day vocally, yes. right? Innate she's not a writer no. is she a storyteller mm-hmm. for sure very right? very creative is she yeah. is she mm-hmm. potentially an actor for sure oh, for sure right she will act <laughs> out her whole day in a very creative way but if it comes down to putting it to words to paper it's, it's, she, it, even, it doesn't she translate. even builds sets my living room was outer space last week it yeah. has been uh, she's created entire stages with curtains and she does a whole curtain call so yeah she's yeah. in that way very creative but yeah the writing like when you said yeah. at seven years old you were That's able impressive. to write a letter to your mother expressing the way you felt and I'm comparing it I mean not comparing that's the wrong word but i'm relating it to my own child who's six and thinking could she do that probably not so i mean obviously there was something really in you that and i'm so happy that you had family members that recognized that and that encouraged you to continue with it because as you said there's probably a lot of really talented people in the world but if you don't have the drive to do it yourself or you don't have the support or encouragement behind you 
it might not go anywhere. Was there anyone that was like, don't even bother. This is not secure work. This Don't waste your time studying this. Why don't you go study something else? Go get a job and just make your way <laughs> in the world the way everybody else does. Did you have any of those? I'm starting to think yes, you might I have had, had some of those based on, well, <laughs> based on the speech you just gave I us. Know, eh? <laughs> I need an Uncle Ricky. <laughs> I had some of that, unfortunately. Um, and it was just, it was disappointing at first and I would get picked on because I was different and weird. You know, it would look weird for, you know, my family who was just wanted to follow the traditional way of, of a child, even just of a child, like just hang out and play. And I had those moments, but when I'm in that, when I was in my grandmother's son porch and writing and just studying, they would look at me like, this is all she do. Like, why? <laughs> and there was times that like, like, like what's like, wrong with this kid there was times that i like what's wrong with her like you know and there was times that i would just you know be by myself like i i learned at an early age how to be by myself and learn more about myself in the process and you know it, it even raised the eyebrow you know to my mom sometimes like okay like she is different and even my grandmother like this is her way like this is her creative and juices this is how she gets everything going like leave that girl alone like i'd rather her do that and then just be wild and fresh and disrespectful and you know and i had my cousins iani and fatima especially my cousin iani that kind of went in the same in the similar bracket so it was like okay finally that somebody understands my language like they understand like you know this is not a joke to me like writing is something that i really want to do and and I, I even had ridicule, like, after, you know, my whole, when I, you know, overcame that hearing impairment experience, like, oh, my God, like, everybody's only favoring her because of what happened to her. Mm, I didn't and, think of that. you know, she thinks oh, yeah. she's all, yeah, and she thinks she's all that because she's a miracle child. And it was just crazy. Like, it was just, like, crazy experience. And, but, you know, and then there was some cousins that were still very supportive and, like, my, you know, my grandparents, my mother, but, like, just cousins around my age, like, I was just picked on, like, for no reason, like, because my grandmother was that type of grandmother that wasn't afraid to share her favoritism, and she showed it quite often, and then I would meet the consequences of it until I had to tell her, like, Grandma, like, you know, you can't do that, like, (laughs) I I, I deal with the aftermath. Yeah, you making me hated by everybody. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And she, in her simple words, I don't care, this is my house, I'm gonna do what I'm gonna do. And I'm like, oh, and it wasn't until, like, my sister's father stepped in, and to this day, he never told us what he said to my cousin. To this day, he never told them. And from that conversation, <laughs> like, he stopped picking on They stopped picking on me. Those were real threats. That <laughs> real threats that no one is ever going to say again. <laughs> you know what? This is such a familiar story, though. Like, you know, when you hear from really, really famous Yes. talented artistic yes. people they're always the weirdos they're, they're the always the oddballs they're always the black well, this is, sheep this of the is family the and I, I, I was gonna i was gonna jump in and say this like it's great that you had people backing you up and saying okay this is what you do let's let's let this thing happen let's play this out to see how it goes mm-hmm. because there's so many other families that would be like come like i was saying before come on this is not a real career or there's only mm-hmm. so many people that actually make it in this business. You're setting yourself up for failure, blah, 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 blah. Mm-hmm. If, if someone is showing that that 
interest and expressing that interest and is excelling like it's in this in the arts you gotta let that go mm-hmm. right you just gotta let them do it yeah. I, i'm a firm believer in that because the people that end up going really far in in the arts they've started from really fucking young and they've yeah. had that encouragement mm-hmm. the whole bloody time did you ever hear the story of mila kunis yeah. like when her yes. family um, it's came great. here from Russia. They had like zero. When I say here, I mean like North America. No, they, no, no. They had no money. This is like insane. literally no money. I heard her talking about this on Howard Stern, and uh, she was like in elementary school, and she's the oddball kid in elementary school because you know they moved to where California or something like that. Yeah. So she's not blonde. She's not blue eyed. She's got a Russian accent, and she's going to school. But she knows school to be school where you get in a uniform and you go to school. And like she didn't even know what jeans were. Like all these kids are making fun of her because she's like in a school uniform and all the rest of it and at a very young age she expressed that she was really interested in acting and wanted to take acting classes and she told this to her parents and they said and she said this is one particular class that i really want to take and i believe this class was like 900 dollars for her to take this class her parents at that time had about 1200 bucks to their name and they said if this is something you really want to do we will pay for it that's insane. Wow. And that's not something I feel that really happened as much like in that time period. I mean, not that not that Mila Kunis no is, offense. is no old. offense. I wouldn't do that now. If my daughter came to me at, at six years old and says, like, you know, hey, I'm 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 really into acting and I really want to take this class and it's gonna cost this amount of money and that takes up you know, that eats away two thirds of everything that I have to my name, I'd be like I appreciate that you have an interest in this, but I, at this point, I feel like I'm throwing away no, money. And how we, are we going to survive? We likely wouldn't do that, but I mean, just the encouragement and the support. I feel like this day and age, we understand a little bit more that you really can make a career out of something if you're mm-hmm. really, really passionate about it. Like I don't feel that my parents really, really had that mentality. You know, like they were always talking to me about you know, going to become a lawyer or, you know, become a doctor mm-hmm. or, you know, the, the typical Your parents jobs. are from a generation where you trade hours for dollars. Right. That's it. So you go yeah. do something yeah. where you can trade your hours to get the maximum amount of dollars possible. Exactly. Right. So when I was a kid, I don't think I would have ever considered that writing could be a career or that, you know, anything artistic could mm-hmm. be a career. It probably would have never crossed mm-hmm. my mind. I think a few times I might have said to my mother, like, I want to be an actor. But let me tell you how that went. I asked her if I could go audition for an art school when I was in, I think, grade seven, because you could start there in grade seven. And because of the distance from my home and I would have had to take the subway and she didn't feel comfortable with me taking the subway, she didn't let me go to the audition. And like Mark was saying, would I have let my kid take the subway at that? age maybe not but i think i might have encouraged the audition you know just or maybe looked Mm -hmm. into can we get you into acting classes extracurricular something but it was sort of like no Mm -hmm. that's not going to happen and i kind of just shut it down i'm not blaming my mother i actually have a very good relationship with my mom but you know what i mean like it is really awesome that at such a young age your family saw the talent maybe not all of them and encouraged you to keep writing because here you are as an adult and you're a freelance journalist it actually did pan out you knew you wanted to write at four years old, five years old, six years old, whatever you were. And now as an adult, you actually are a writer. You did turn your passion into a career, Mm -hmm. which is so fucking encouraging for so many people because, you know, when you find something you really, really love, I say this to my kids all the time. I'm like, if you find something you really, really love to do, keep doing it because there's opportunities for it somewhere. Yeah. You can get paid to do anything. And that, and that's what I wanted to say. Um, 
you know, once I told my family that I wanted to be a journalist, my grandparents were the ones that was like, okay, you really want to write? You really want to do this? Okay. We're going to subscribe different magazines for you to under, like, for you to read so you can understand writing styles. So you can understand how to construct the article. I was, my grandparents were my boot camp before. That's amazing. I mm-hmm. So they was already thinking like that. And then, you know, on, you know, when I left them, my mother's an educator. So I was already reading. Like I was reading like an hour every day after school. Like when homework was done, I couldn't even watch TV during the week. So I had to read an hour and then two hours in the summer. So I was already getting the fundamental preparation of a writer, right? So we were doing that. And they were like, okay, since you're writing all these short stories and poems, whatever, we're going to see if we could take it to the outside and see who are you going to submit this to? Because you always want to have, you know, things that you can submit. And I either became an honorable mention, I was either like a certificate of recognition, all these different things that they were preparing me, even the high school I went to. Like my grandfather uh, worked for New York City Transit. He was a bus um, operator. So I was sitting down and he's like, he never called me by my first name. He always called me by my nickname. God bless his soul. He used to say Nicky Nack. He would sit me down on the table like, Nikki Nack, what school do you want to go to? And I'm like, honestly, Grant, I don't know. Like, what school would be good for a writer? Like, and he said, Edward R. Murrow. And he's like, and I told you who this journalist was over and over again. I said, okay, I'm going to apply for the school. And I honestly believe if my grandfather did not tell me about this school, I wouldn't have had the opportunity to interview Drake when I was 16. I wouldn't have had the opportunity to be a nominee for Princeton's high school summer journalism program. Like, you know, everybody was looking out, you know, had their ears and their eyes. And this is to see what opportunities would be good for me. Like, even in a pageant, like, I never thought I would win a pageant. Like, I'm kind of like a girly tomboy kind of thing. But that led to another opportunity. So, you know, I always had people in my ear and my family. I was looking, you know, different ways and different opportunities that were leading into the position I am now. And then when I was in college, my grandfather was like, start looking into the other career roles that will always need a writer. Because any career, he used to tell me, any career you go to, you're going to need a writer. Oh, for sure. Everybody yeah. has to know how to write. Like, you can look at it so many different ways. Like, even if you didn't follow the traditional journalism route, this, I'm pretty sure, like, every path has a communication and marketing department oh, yep. where they're always going to need a writer. For sure. So he started allowing me to look into other avenues, too. Man, I love your grandparents. I don't even know them. <laughs> because you had so much support... <laughs> Because you had so much support from a lot of people in, in, in all of this, do you feel like you got to give it back? You got to pay it forward to other people now? Or you just kind of soak it up? you like, yeah, I had a lot of support. That was a good thing. I know. It sounds like a horrible question. Do you pay it forward or do you feel like you have to pay it forward? Um, that's a very good question. With my grandparents, though, it was like, you, you know, they, they used to say to me, you know how you pay it back? You go to school and you get your education and you stick to what you're passionate for. That's how you pay it back. Hmm. That's how you show your appreciation. Yeah. Don't say it's safe. Like that's and even and even in my in my personal relationship with my fiance, he's like, you know how you show your appreciation? You know how you show your principle like your sincerity? Don't play it safe. Continue to do what you have to do. That's how you pay me back. Mm. And so I'm talking like, about okay. not playing it safe. And since you brought up your fiance and the obvious the obvious next place to go, since this is two massage therapists and a microphone. You became a journalist. You got to interview Drake. Mm-hmm. How does a journalist from New York, living in New York, 
how do you end up becoming a licensed massage therapist? Before you answer, before you answer this one, before you answer that, were you making decent dough doing the writing before you went to massage? In other no. words, you no. Know, so it wasn't quite there. Okay, cool. No, that was the reason why I did it. You know, I got the notoriety, got the opportunities, mm. and. I think I think my high school teacher, Mr. Mentor, and my college professors because they gave they gave us the real. Like, if you're in this industry to make money, you are in the wrong profession. Yeah, that was the deal. They they made that very clear to us, and that is something you do out of passion. Making, yeah, that they they presented it like to us up front. I was making money, but it was like just to get like just to pay for the necessities. Enough to survive. Like, what yeah. if I wanted to? Yeah, like, what if I wanted to do something else? And, you know, at a certain point, like, I already, and then I went to grad school, and I figured, okay, I get my master's, I should get my foot in the door. And I would go on all these interviews, first interview, second interview, and nothing. And I was, it was just getting frustrating, it was getting discouraged, like, the, the employment part of it. And I was 25, I was still living at home, but, you know, you have responsibilities. Like, you know, you're not going to live nowhere for free, and you pay rent. So it was just like, let me think of another avenue that I know I'm very good at. Grandparents, once again, my grandmother in particular. Um, my grandmother was a diabetic, so she was dealing with a lot of aches and pains in the kitchen one day. And I just did like a light compression on her. And she was like, wow. Like within like a few, like 30, 45 minutes later, she started feeling better. And she was like, you know, you're going to do something else with your hands outside of writing. I'm like, grandma, like, what are you talking about? Like, then we had this conversation. I decided this is what I'm going to do. She's like, listen to me. You're, I'm not saying you're not going to be a writer, but you're going to have, you're going to do something else with your hands. And I was like, all right. And with my grandmother's intuition, you got to listen to her, you know, because nine times out of 10, she was right. <laughs> so I started um, massaging my mom at home and she would say the same thing. And my mom took me to my first spa when I was 17. It was called Serenity in New York City. And I just love my massage experience. And I started massaging my cousins. I started massaging a lot of our childhood friends in the neighborhood. And I would just see their reactions from massages. I was like, okay, I can kind of like do this on the side and see where this goes. And I remember at one point in undergrad, I was trying to do both. Like I was trying to finish my undergrad and try to get this massage license. And my mentor was like, are you crazy? Like, focus on one. You got time to go back and do your massage. Finish mm -hmm. what you started here. Like, you're going to be in disarray. Like, I need you to stay focused. And by then, I had to. I was in an honors program in college. So I really had to stay focused. So I kept that on the back burner. And um, I was just fed up with the whole financial aspect of journalism. Like, I love my profession, but I'm not seeing the financial benefits. I, I have all these qualifications. I'm interviewing all these reputable people in the industry while I'm not seeing the financial revenue. So I started applying for um, looking at different massage programs, went to open houses, and I decided it on CUNY Queensborough Community College since I already graduated from a CUNY school. The credit transfer shouldn't be a problem. So that's when I applied. My grandfather gave me $100 for my birthday. I used that to my college application. And I was accepted. And it was a risk because I'm already a two-time college graduate. So that means I was not going to really get any financial aid. So that's when loans started to come out. So it was on an emotional point of view why I went to school for massage. And then I decided, let me use 
whatever skill set I have to, you know, make it happen. And that's what that came about. And I love this too, because journalism, like you said, that's your passion. Writing is your passion. You knew you weren't going to give it up, but money isn't steady. And massage therapy, something else that you really already like to do. People were encouraging you to do it. And I love that you could see, because I feel like a lot of people might be like, this is insane. Like I have two college degrees already and I'm already in this career. These two things have nothing to do with each other. But you saw this opportunity as like, I can have two careers that I'm passionate about. Whereas, you know, when one's not really bringing the money in, the other one can and vice versa. And that is the beauty Mm -hmm. of massage therapy. That's part of the reason I got into the career myself, because I felt like this doesn't have to be the be all end all. I feel like massage therapy is one of those careers that, yeah, you can go all in because there's so many different avenues you can take and you can make it your full-time career. Or it can be something that you do as a part-time career with something else. Like, you know, I know a lot of RMTs Mm -hmm. who also do real estate. Actually, funny story. I don't Mm -hmm. know if I've ever told the story, if I've ever even told Mark, when I was in massage school, (laughs) what'd you say? You want to go to real estate? (laughs) No, 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 not real estate. When I was in massage school, I was probably maybe eight months to a year in. And uh, we lived midtown Toronto in a very busy neighborhood. So I was walking around the neighborhood one day. I'd gone to the coffee shop, grabbed a coffee, and I was walking by a Lululemon store. And I decided just to go in and look around. Like, I, I don't know why I had so much time on my hands this day. I was literally just wandering in and out of shops and going shopping. And I'm in this Lululemon store and, you know, all of the staff were there and they were all just kind of like hanging out and laughing and they seemed like they were having a really good time. When I had gotten my coffee, I was in Starbucks and it was the same kind of thing. And it suddenly hit me that like if I wanted to, I could go get a part time job at like Lululemon or Starbucks and just be hanging out like all of these girls were doing, enjoying their day but then also do massage therapy. Not that that, you know, that was really what I wanted to do, but it was exciting to know that I'm in school for a career that I could actually make whatever I want it to be. You know what I mean? Like I was like, I could Uh go work part-time at Starbucks. These guys look like they're having the time of their fucking life right now making lattes. Like I could do that and do massage Mm -hmm. or I could sell Mm -hmm. athletic clothing and do massage. Like it was just the possibilities in that moment were like, this is so cool. Like I was just so happy to be doing the school at that moment because I didn't know what would come next out of it. I didn't know I'd be sitting here talking to you in New York. No, you're in Virginia now. Fuck. I just wanted to say New York again. <laughs> Unbelievable. <laughs> Unbelievable. <laughs> anyway, but that's that's the coolest part. And I again, I love the fact that your family saw this more as an opportunity for you, not like, what are you doing? So I'm not going to lie. Again, when I decided to go back to school and do massage, I had some people saying, you're going to school again? You know, I already had a university degree. I had that too. It was like, really? You're going to go I back to school too. again? And yeah, you, didn't, you didn't do school, like massage school straight, right? You did it part time, no? I did it part time. And I had the ridicule when I first made the decision to go back to school. Like, I remember telling my mother, I had a, um, a part time job because I was finishing my master's. And I was telling her, I was going to go back to school to be a massage therapist. I was like, we already had these conversations. Like, I don't even know why massage massage therapy is new to you. Like, you already knew this was something that I was going to do down the line. But now that I made the decision to do it, it's an issue. She felt like at the time it was bad timing. I'm like, look, I got to do it. It's now or never. Like, I felt like it, I was I was living at home. I have no children. What better time to do it? Like, 
it's not going to take away from anything. And she's like, who's going to pay for it? I was like, well, I got to take out the loans. Like, I, this is my investment. Mm-hmm. And she was not happy until I was in the program. And I had family on the outside looking at, oh, my God, like, she's all over the place. Like, first she's a journalist, now she's a massage therapist. It's just like, and, I, I, and then those are the family members that you have to kindly check. Yes, kindly check them. Like, kindly. okay, kindly. I am a, I, I am a journalist, but I have the proof to show it. It's not like I just uh, randomly picked a major and didn't do anything of it. Like I have proof. Like this is what I've been doing. I this actually be Drake, guys. God, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> <laughs> and then and I'm still doing, and you know, and even even during that, you know, journalism experience, like when I was, you know in my early stages of freelancing, I was really cute then, like how she interviewed all these celebrities. Like, what is she doing behind the scenes? Is, is she sleeping her way to the top? Oh. So I'm not, I'm not, fam- I'm not familiar to ridicule from your family. Like I'm really not. And, you know, when I started hearing these things and how my grandmother would have to kindly check a family member and say, you don't know what you're talking about. Like, you know, shut your mouth. Like when I started hearing, I'm like, this, this goes to show you that, you can't worry about how people think of you. Like you have to worry about what you think of you. Like if this makes sense to you, and even if that's even if the decision doesn't play out the way you want it, at least you tried. At least you made a decision to try, and that's what I did when I when I first enrolled in massage therapy. But starting out, it was like, oh my god, like she's all over the place. Like what is she doing? Like how she gonna how she how are you a journalist and massage therapist? I'm like, you see these singers and actors, they have more than one profession. Who said I can't do it? Yeah, Just because sure. you didn't take the chance to do it, don't look at me. Just because you made certain decisions that led you to this point, like don't blame me for your failure. Don't blame me that you didn't take the chance on doing certain things and that I did. And yeah, that's my attitude. It's hard to block out that noise, especially at such a young age. Um, Mark and I joke about it now because as we've gotten older, I really don't give a shit what people think. You know, I'm going to do what works for mm-hmm. me, what works for my family. There's going to be people that might think I'm crazy in decisions I make, but they're my decisions. But I don't know if at 25, mm-hmm. I, I had that same mentality. So it's really good that you, and like you said, you spent a lot of time getting to know yourself, right? That though all those childhood years where people thought, what an oddball that she wants to be by herself. But mm-hmm. it's mm-hmm. it really does build character. It makes you understand yourself and what you need and what makes sense for you. And just being able to make a decision. You know, I think there's a lot of people that probably in their older years live with a little bit of regret for not taking the chances mm-hmm. and not making the decisions and, you know, not just seeing where they could go with something. So I'm really excited. Like I said at the beginning of this, I'm excited that you decided to do this because now you're a licensed massage therapist and you've been so, what, for just over a year now? Is that right? Almost a year. Almost over a year. Almost a year. Mm -hmm. Okay. So let's talk about, well, actually, let's talk about school first. You know, you had never really done science. You'd always been, you know, in the creative writing and um, Mm -hmm. journalism. When you started Mm -hmm. massage school, were you... uh, were you really, really surprised? Were you? <laughs> <laughs> I, <laughs> I was in for a shock. I was just like, okay, this is this, this is the science card. Okay, like in all, like I had three strong subjects when I was in school. It was writing, math, and foreign language. Every other language, I, every other subject in school was kind of like a, like a, I was a, always a B student. You know, if I studied hard, I was always like a B student. So when I started massaging, this is all like 
a lot of science in it. I'm like, I really had a hard time. Like in the beginning of the semester in the anatomy, I was thought off well. And then it was the topic with the tissues and the bones. I was just like, oh my goodness. And that kind of took like a curveball with my grade. And then when my professor, she was doing the final grades of the anatomy, I got to see, I got to see minus. And you know, with massage, you need at least a C to stay in the program. So I'm like, oh my gosh, the massage courses, no problem. I did very well in the massage courses. The anatomy, I'm like, oh my God, like, okay. And I'm trying to, you know, persuade and use my words for her to change the grade and and after the conversation she had, it makes sense. But by the time you submit grades to the biology department, that's it. Because they're going by numbers. Like, they're going by exams. They should. They said, like, she should have made that decision herself prior to submitting that grade. So now it's like, okay, I have to repeat this course for two simple points. I'm going to say it was 10. <laughs> two. Like, two. I'm in I'm in the in the car with my god sister, like just upset and she's like got me like, look, either you're gonna stay in the program or you're not, like, which one are you gonna do? And I remember my fiance and I, we just started dating again and we were out in the city and I was crying to him. He's looking at me like, suck it up. Like, I'm not gonna allow you to sit here and pout like all night. Like, especially what we got going on here, like, make a decision. You really wanna be in this program, you gotta change your approach. You got to change your approach about these science classes. You understand why science blends well with massage. He was not giving me any mercy. And once I dried my tears and and made up with him and I figured out what other outlets I had to do. You should see Mark's face right now. Did you say made up with him or made out with him? He's like, did she just say after I dried my tears and made out with him? Yes, made out. I said made out. Yes, made out with him. That's what I thought. That's what I thought. All right. Just clarify. Made out with him. Yep. <laughs> and I figured out a STEM waiver program that I could take for the summer and I applied for it. It was like first come, first serve opportunity. I got the STEM waivers. I didn't even have to pay for the class for the summer. And I had to take the class three times a week. I was working full time. I was traveling from Queens to Brooklyn three times a week for this class. And since I took it over, I got the C plus. So I was like, okay, all right, I'm in the game. I can stay in the program, but if I'm really going to do well in this program, a C plus is not good enough for me. So I started changing my study habits. I was studying like after the courses, even they said two weeks in advance, I was studying every day, like two hours a day. Like I just started changing my attitude, you know, about science because I knew that science wasn't always my favorite subject in school. And then after a while, like I really enjoyed it, especially the myology part of it, like identifying the muscles and the attachments. And I think the reason why I was able to enjoy it because of the professors I had. Like they made a sense that they made like different acronyms and different ways of how you can remember rotator cuff muscles and and you know if you know the prime if you know the agonist of one muscle you should know the antagonist of the other muscle if you know this muscle this muscle is a flexor then you should know that this muscle is an extensor it's the opposite so it just made it fun and engaging and that's when I started seeing my grade 
change. A lot of it had to do with your attitude change as well. I mean, Mm -hmm. uh, it's really great that your fiance was willing to give you tough love because again, I feel like he had two choices there. He could have been, oh, poor baby. Okay. Maybe this wasn't Mm -hmm. right for you. It's okay. But he's like, no, you're not going to cry. Make a fucking decision and let's do it. (laughs) And And let's make out. And and let's make out. Exactly. Um, But I feel, I I feel like, I mean, everybody in the world, I think once in a while can get the poor me attitude. And I appreciate someone that can pull me out of it. It doesn't happen a lot, but I do sometimes get that way where I'm just sulky and everything's bad because, you know, things didn't go my way. And I might turn to Mark for comfort and he immediately starts telling me like, okay, this is the scenario. This is what we could do. This is what you have to do. And I'm like, wait, wait, wait. I'm like, I just want to cry a little bit. And he's like, okay, like you done now. What? (laughs) And I can appreciate that because you know what it, it, where is, where is crying about it getting you right? So I think your attitude change and making a decision of how badly you want something, you know, when it, it can apply to anything in your life, when somebody's having major issues in, let's say a relationship and it's, you know, the these are the issues, these are the issues, these are the issues. At some point, you just have to sit down and decide how important is this relationship to me? How badly do I want to make it work? And then how can I make it work? So you're in school mm-hmm. for massage therapy. You didn't do so great. And you knew I can't stay in this program getting grades like this. So then it's how badly mm-hmm. do I want this? And what do I need to do to make it work? And and then you did it. And it became fun because you weren't any you weren't thinking any longer, oh, I can't do this. It's hard. You were like, I'm gonna figure out mm-hmm. a way to do this. And then and then you you did, obviously. And it took you, you said you did it part time. So it took you how many years to complete the program? It took me three years. Three, three years. years to finish part time. So you graduated then uh when, twenty eighteen? No, twenty nineteen. Twenty nineteen. I started in um I started January of 2016 and I finished in May of 2019. Okay. And let's talk about your journey from there, because at some point we've got to inform the listeners how this New York girl with this New York accent is now hanging out in Virginia. (laughs) So what what happened when you finished school? All right. So here's what happened. So I graduated in May. I took the MBLEX in July of 2019. So and that's, again, the, that's the national phenomenal. exam, right? That's the national exam, massage board licensing examination for um, 49 states in the U.S. So I did that first because I knew, you know, with my lifestyle, my fiance is a truck driver. So I was always prepared just in case if I had to move out of New York, I can massage out of New York. And New York is um, another state that has their own separate exam. So right. I did nationals first. It was um, computerized and it was a pass or fail. So I passed that. And I really believe that it was my professor, Dr. DeCepoli. He had a review course for graduating massage students to, to prepare them for the exams. So I was already studying as I was completing my massage degree. So we were already doing that. And because we were his students, he gave us a discount. So that was like the gateway for me to pass the nationals. So once I did that, um, New York State was around the corner. Like I was studying every day, all times of the day. Like I would even get in trouble at work. Like I was studying at my desk. I was working in the call center and they would tell me, if you study one more time, like we're going to send you home. Like that's how much (laughs) time I was studying. Like they was like, you know, but they were very supportive. You know, the job met me pharmacy. I really had very good supervisors and staff that were very supportive. They understood that this is this means a lot to me. And they worked around my schedule. So as I was completing the program, I was working 
four days a week, 10 hours a day, overtime, working Saturdays, every Saturday until I graduated. So they understood that this means a lot to me. So I did that. I took the New York exam in August. But New York, they make you wait six weeks, New York State. And it's just like, your life is on hold for six weeks. You're like, oh my God, like, okay. Like, cause if you don't pass this exam, you have to take it again the following year. And it's a lot of money. Like it was a lot of money to pay for the license. It was a lot of money to pay for the exam. The exam was like maybe 250. Mm-hmm. So you're paying a lot and then you're paying for a review course. So you're like, no, I got to pass this. And that was my attitude. So when I took it, I absorbed whatever I learned. The six weeks go by. I come back from a beautiful vacation with my hubby. We went to Mexico. And when I get back, a few weeks later, the letter's in the mail that to see if you passed the exam. So I opened the letter. I passed. I was screaming. I was screaming. I was like, this test was hard as hell. And I passed on the first shot. I was like, thank you, God. So I um, immediately started looking for, you know, different massage positions and I only had to interview for two and the second one hired me and that was Bliss, Bliss Spa in New York City. One of the most elite spas in New York City, been open for 20, over 25 years. And they took a chance as a new therapist and my um, lead massage therapist supervisor, Crystal, she did a trial on me and she's like, you sure you're a new graduate? I was like, yeah, I just graduated. She was like, because I swear your hands feel like you've been working like three years. And I'm like, no, I promise you, like, I'm a new therapist. That was all that practicing on your mom and your grandma. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, I really really believe it was, uh, you know, on my family. So when she spoke to the spa director, he hired me. And I put in my two weeks at the Bentley Pharmacy um, call center. It was bittersweet because that job really helped me get back on my feet. I was dealing with a lot of personal issues at that time as I was graduating from massage school and that job was like it was just angelic for me at that time so I really it was a bittersweet experience but I still you know keep in touch with some of the colleagues there and they knew how much I wanted this and I started November 19th 2019 I started working at Bliss and within six weeks I was getting priority booking which means that you know due to your sales you have a greater chance of getting booked because, you know, the, the how many sales you generate at the spa and everything was going well. And then, boom, the pandemic. COVID. <laughs> COVID. <laughs> COVID happened. And COVID really taught me a lot during this experience that when they say a nest egg, you got to have a nest egg time three because I really I really believe we didn't expect this at all. Anybody did not expect this, you know. I thought it was gonna roll over, like this is just like a oh, phase completely. Like a safety completely. drill. When this was just I, in, I in like Wuhan <laughs> I was like, okay, no, we're we're fine. We're all the way over here. It's in Wuhan. Like, you know, it, it will be fine. I did not expect this. No. No, it was a safety. I thought it was like a safety drill. We're going to be all right. And then when I started seeing things shut down and other people in the service industry shut down, I'm like, okay, this is not a game. Like, okay, maybe maybe three weeks a month I'll be out of work. It's no big deal. My bills are paid. I just pay my rent. No problem. No. And at that point, my fiance and I were, were long distance. He was already in Virginia driving a truck cross country. And we just started really thinking about our living situation. And he's like, you know what? And by then, New York was getting out of control. Yeah. And he was yeah. just like, 
how about you just come down here? You know, you can massage. You you can't tell me you can't massage. You pass the exam, the national exam, you can get a job when things start opening up. And um, I decided I, I came down here, I put in my unemployment, and my unemployment finally went through when I moved to Virginia, so New York. It finally went through as soon as I moved to Virginia. That was crazy. <laughs> and, you know, during that time period until jobs really started opening up for therapists, I had a time to edit my first book, work, finish my second book, um, just work on my craftsmanship as writing. And when things started opening up, like I started the application process to have a massage license in Virginia. So that's how that came about. But before COVID, I was fine. Like I was doing well. And then, that happened. That was a reality check as a new therapist. So it was a reality check for a lot of people. Like you said, I don't think anybody expected it. And it's one huge lesson that we've all taken from this is you've got to have either a backup plan. You've got to make sure you're not, you're not living paycheck to paycheck. You've got to make sure Mm -hmm. you're, you know, you're prepared. I kind of get someone that's living paycheck to paycheck when they first come out of school. But you know, just knowing that Mm -hmm. there's been seasoned veteran massage therapists that we know that lost everything because they just had no financial planning involved in their life at all like there's no savings no anything just living hand to mouth the whole fucking time that doesn't make sense to me Mm -hmm. i mean but that's just someone that's just not prepared in life in general yeah well i mean i guess the positive that came out of it for you because you were doing so great at the spa you were getting priority bookings you were busy right like you were the money Mm -hmm. was coming in so your writing took a back seat but then during covid you you finished your book. So let's let's mm-hmm. talk about that. What kind of book did you write? Okay. So um, during the downtime that I had once I moved to Virginia, um, my fiance was a truck driver, so he was an essential worker, so he was already working. And he's like, all right, while you're down here, if I'm working, all I want you to do is just focus on writing. I was like, what? He's like, don't worry about the bills. Everything is taken care of. And I thank God for that because everybody don't have a companion that will say, this is what I want you to do. For I'm sure. going to take care of everything else. You take care of the miscellaneous things and you just focus on your writing. So what I did was, um, I can't speak on the topic of the first book. We're still going through some legal matters. But I wrote a biography on an R&B artist. Um, she's a female. And then for the second book, I did the same thing on a male. His name is, um, I'm pretty sure you guys know him, John B. Mm-hmm. He was like the biggest R&B sensation back in the 90s. And I decided to write about him because his story is so unique. He faced a lot of racial barriers. It took him a long time to be respected in R&B. And I felt like two major hits of his career made people understand, like, okay, he's a force to be reckoned with. His collaboration with Tupac and then um, the song, They Don't Know. And a lot of people don't know that John that John was the last person to work with Tupac before he died. Like he was the last person to work with him physically in the studio before he died. And that stuck with me because a lot of people have done collaborations with Tupac, but they only collaborated with his voice. John was the last person to do that. And that stood out to me. And I've always loved John B from, I was a kid. Like I was, my music catalog was so mature as a kid. Like it was so like mature. I was surprised even now, like when I make jokes with my family, my fiance, they like, you were listening to this kind of music? I was. It was very mature. And even though like the lyrical content, I didn't get it right away. It was just his his voice. Like 
this dude is singing with so much soul. So I just took the time to research and write the book. And I worked with some phenomenal people with the editing and the graphic design. I reconnected with my high school classmate, Stephen Davis. He He did the design for my book. I worked with my friend and my colleague, Emily Timmerman. She edited my first book. And we worked on the second book together and we met when I was still in New York, you know, due to her family matters. She had to leave New York and due to my personal matters, um, I had to leave New York. So we did a lot of things remote and talked over the phone and it was just a great project. And um, I'm just looking forward to come out in, in fall of this year. So we just getting all the copyright process and yes, so it will be out this fall. Uh, I'm, I'm very excited. So cool. Um <laughs> I'm so, this is off topic. This is not about writing or massage, but you and I have had a really funny, like, I think I was laughing so hard my face hurt. We had some really funny conversations about what it's like moving from big city New York to where you are in Virginia right now <laughs> and some of the things, some of the adaptations you've had to make and how your life is has changed now. Um, like, big city girl going to where you are now, how much of a shock was that for you? It, it is a shock because I never thought in the million years I would leave New York City. I would say, I'm a city girl by heart. I'm going to die by the city, you know, and I would read stories as a kid, like the city mouse and the country mouse. I'm like, and I've been to the country, you know, to visit, but I never thought that I would live down here. So when I moved down here, I'm like, I can't even get around. Like, I got to ask somebody to take me to the store that's like off the block. And where I'm from in New York, you could walk. And I'm a walker. So this is this was like a shock to me. And, you know, but where we're at, thankfully, it was walking distance to shopping mall. And even still, though, like, they were going to be like, why is she walking? Because like, everybody else is driving. And <laughs> can, I remember can you please talk I about went, the shopping cart? Please. I need <laughs> yes, to hear this story again. <laughs> <laughs> so one day I did grocery shopping. And mind you, the 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 um the grocery store is 15 minutes walking so I'm like okay I'm walking with my shopping cart but when I get to the supermarket these people look at me like why she got a shopping cart like the cart is outside I was like see it's a New York thing like well we we purchase shopping carts and we take it to the supermarket <laughs> but when they look at you down south they like what is this like what is she doing like I was like, it's a New York thing. So that is me, definitely a New York thing. Like, not even just a big city. Because I live in Toronto. This is a big city. And we do not purchase and bring our own shopping carts. We use the carts that are available at the supermarket to shop. Like, when you first told me this, I was crying. I'm like, I can just imagine this girl walking down the street 15 minutes pushing her own shopping cart. Like we everybody was then, probably looking at you like you were fucking insane. Like, She's from New York. <laughs> they probably thought I was homeless. Like, yeah, yeah that's for sure. They probably they thought I was homeless. <laughs> and that's what made it worse. Like I had I had shorts on, a white beater and fitted. And these people looking at me like I said, look, I'm here to shop. Are you gonna pay for my groceries or not? I'm just here to shop. Like and the cashiers, they were more receptive. They was like and I remember the guy was like, are you from New York? I was like, yes. He was like, I could tell from the shopping cart. I was like, what? <laughs> didn't even say my, they didn't even say my utterance. He said from the shopping cart that I was from New York City. It really must be such a culture shock. I mean, you're going from New York City, which has like 8.4 million people, to Virginia, which has 
eight point mm-hmm. five million people. Do you know what I mean? You're going from like a city that's got almost the same amount of people in the whole fucking state. Yeah. It's insane. It's yep. insane to me. Yeah. Other yeah. parts of the culture shock, or were there any other parts of the culture shock being from um, being black in New York and being black in Virginia? What's the difference there? I just I just it's surprisingly like of course you got the southern ac- accent, you know, which and then when they don't hear it from me, they're like, okay, either she's from out of town or she's the new kid on the block. Right. And even mm-hmm. the, the stuff I hear from my job, they was like, she's from New York City. And she asked me if I'm an athlete. I said, why do I have to be from New York City if I'm asking you, are you an athlete? I'm asking you because it's a part of the treatment plan. You're telling me that you had a, you tore your ACL. And I'm, that's why I'm asking, are you an athlete? He didn't even say that. He, didn't, he said, are you are you from New York City because of the question I asked? Mm. Not because of the treatment plan, because of what I'm like, yes. And then I had another person ask me, are you from Brooklyn? I was like, huh? I was like, yes, I'm from Brooklyn. He's like, yeah, it's just a whole different vibe, a whole different attitude. So it was just like people catching me off guard because of the questions I'm asking or because of the utterance. Like, it was just, it was just weird. Like, and it's still weird to get, I only been down here four months. And I'm 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 still hearing it. Is there any slang that you're using and everyone else is like, What the fuck what is she talking saying? about? And is everyone else are you hearing are you hearing other slang and you're like, I have no fucking clue what you guys are saying right now. <laughs> I think somebody caught me, I said, Did you smash? <laughs> and they're like, Did I smash? <laughs> and they say yep, she's from New York City. But she said, Did you smash? <laughs> And the way I say hustle, yeah. that's that's what that's what kills people the most. Even the people I work with now, the way they was like the way you say hustle is like, yeah, she's from New York City. <laughs> <laughs> but do you do you like it? Can you see yourself staying in Virginia when <laughs> when things go back to to somewhat normal if that ever happens? Or do you think you'll um, ever go back to I, New York? I have to visit. I've been down here for a couple of months and I'm over in New York City. Like I came, I, I went over there two weeks ago to take care of some business. And it's just not the same for me anymore. I don't even want to get on the subway. Yeah. I don't want to get on the train. I, you know what? I totally get I it. Leaving the chaos behind is sometimes. Like when you're in the chaos and that's and that's part of just what your life is, then that is what your life mm-hmm, is. But yeah. once you see and you you taste the other side of like no chaos, a little bit more, a little bit more peace, mm-hmm. a little bit more quiet, mm-hmm. a little bit more control yeah. over the external mm-hmm. environment, so to speak. You know? Yeah, we yeah. spent five years, yeah. like I said, in a very busy part of Toronto. We were right in the middle of the city where most people don't drive they do i mean there was Mm -hmm. traffic everywhere but majority of people that lived Mm -hmm. in that neighborhood would walk or cycle or whatever like you you didn't Mm -hmm. or take the Mm -hmm. subway right you didn't really drive Mm -hmm. and mark and i were both from the suburbs then we moved there together we spent five years there and when we were gonna have our yeah oh it was definitely fun we could i mean we were stumbling home from bars every night but when we got uh, found out that we, we were going to have a baby, <laughs> because we smashed. <laughs> when we found out that we were pregnant with our first child, then it was, okay, maybe we should think about moving back to the suburbs, which is exactly what we did. So we came back to the east end of the city, which is where we're both from. And within a few months of being back here and living here, I remember very clearly Mark saying to me, like, do you miss our old neighborhood? Like, do you miss being able to walk to the supermarket? Do you miss the the busyness? Do you miss? And I was like, I really don't. Like, I'm really yep. 
I'm really happy to be back in mm-hmm. this suburban life. And I think this is... I don't miss the sirens. I don't. I don't miss the alleys that <laughs> smell like piss. I don't. Right? Yeah, I don't. <laughs> like, those are the two biggest things I don't miss. I don't miss hearing sirens every fucking second. And I don't miss walking by two buildings and I can smell the piss coming from an alley. Yeah. I don't, I don't miss any of that. No. And you know what? I got so accustomed to the sirens, you know, living there for five years. I didn't even notice it. And probably two weeks ago, uh, Mark and I were sitting in our condo here in Scarborough and we had the windows open. It was like a, a nicer night where it wasn't, you know, 30 degrees and humid. Um, so we had the windows open and there were sirens. And I remember like noticing and I was like, oh, that's so annoying. And he's like, don't you remember this was our life like <laughs> every night? I'm like, oh, yeah. <laughs> 10, 12 times every night. Yeah. You know, police so. sirens, fire trucks, the whole bit. <laughs> <laughs> but I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't miss it. Like I, I have a lot of family back in New York, so of course I will visit. And you know, if I have to take care of certain things, I will do it. But I don't see myself living, even the cost of living. Like I see what people are going through right now in New York. I'm not saying Virginia doesn't have their issues, but I just think you know, with this current space in my life right now, like I'm about to get married. You know, I'm turning thirty. I'm not in the same space when I was 20 and 21 where I said I would never leave, never leave New York. And I've learned, you know, in this life, never, never say never, which mm-hmm. is so true. I used to say, I'm never going to be in a long distance relationship. I was in a long distance relationship. <laughs> I'm never going to be with a truck driver. I would say truck driver. <laughs> like, you know, you just, <laughs> I used to say to, I used to say to my fiance, when we had a very bad breakup in high school. It would be a cold day in hell before I'm with him. Now I'm marrying him. So you just, you never say never. Like, you just, <laughs> you, you guys are you high know, school sweethearts? That. Yes. Oh, that's so cute. Well, sort of sweethearts. Well, I mean, sort they of. Broke I mean, up. they broke up. Right? Sort of. <laughs> And apparently it's a cold day in hell because now they're getting married. So, <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah, wow. I, I just couldn't believe it. That's why I said you can't, you know, say never. You have to welcome change and embrace change. And for a long time, I had troubles with that, you know. But now I really embrace, like, I really embrace these transitions and, you know, whatever challenges are coming along the way. And that's how I felt, you know, about Virginia, even though New York City is my home and I will always be a New York state of mind. I'm welcome to adapting, you know, my life in Virginia. And I've seen people make the transition from coming from Virginia to New York. And I've seen a lot of people with that transition. Like, eventually, I'm coming back to Virginia because I don't want to raise my family in New York. Mm. I've seen people say that, too. So it's it's a catch-22. But I just think for where I'm at right now, I'm I'm ready to embrace this new stage in my life. So I almost feel like New York is one of those places. Like once you leave, you, you just don't go back. Well, that's what people say about Toronto. Mm-hmm. Yeah, once, once you, you leave, once you you're don't out, come back. You're out, yeah. yeah. Well, so you're now going to be a licensed massage therapist in Virginia. Woo. And uh, I am you, you are officially <laughs> awesome. Yes, so, I am. <laughs> so you're working now and loving it. And your book's coming out in the fall. So yes. tell us where we can get that book when it comes yeah. out. Um, you can get it online. I'm, I I did a self-publishing deal with Amazon KDP. So it will be either 
in paperback and digital. So um, I don't have an exact date in um, November, but it will definitely be November 2020. We'll have everything printed out. This is so cool. Before we wrap up, I have to say, Dom, this was really fun and really refreshing. I just really like your attitude. I think this is going to be inspiring for people because I like what you were saying at the end where you just never say never, be open to opportunities, embrace change. Like you're at this really kind of cool place in your life right now where you're about to get married. You've got a book coming out. You're in this career that you love. And probably if someone had told you, you know, 15 years ago, you're going to be living in Virginia as a massage therapist, writer and freelance journalist, you'd have been like, you're out of your mind. But here you are and loving life. So (laughs) I love that. So thank you. Thank you so much for actually sending us the email and saying like, hey, you guys want to talk? I love when people just take the initiative to do it because what's the worst thing that's going to happen, right? I just want to say one last thing about um, massage. As, As much as I love the profession, Unfortunately, it's it's still not taken seriously, and I really I love these platforms such as yourself that understands that massage is a is is a is, is a serious profession. Like we are professionals that take the time to figure out ways and different methods to treat your body, how to relieve your tension, how to loosen your adhesions, and all of that stuff. And there is a difference between massage places and massage parlors. So I just want to clear that up. Yep. <laughs> and I say that because in my journey, I have people ask me, do you do happy endings? And I'm like, there are places you can go for that. Yep. That's not what I do. So I really, you know, due to the, especially with this difficult time in New York City, they didn't know where to put massage therapists. I'm like, we are a part of the healthcare industry. Like we are in a health science profession. Like it shouldn't be no brand. As much as we have the licensing, the continued education, I just believe such as platforms as yourself will continue to spread the word and eventually we'll get, you know, raise more awareness and see why massage is so important to the health industry. Because when you think about it, if you go back in history, massage is the extension of nursing. That's how nursing got started because of massage. People don't understand that. Like, and, you know, I'm glad that over the years that we became more serious back in the 80s where we focused on, you know, licensing requirements and registration. So we can have the reputation that it is now, but I feel like there are more ways to go. So um, I just wanted to spread that out there and give a special shout out to all my Queensboro Community College massage um, colleagues. I say that because we we did this together. I know without them and my professors, I wouldn't be where I'm at right now. You know, they we encourage each other during this process. You know, when we were graduating, when we were studying, we encourage one another. Even now, even though I'm no longer in New York, we still keep in touch with the WhatsApp and texting. So I just want to spread a special thank you to them. You know, I can't say I did this alone. So that was my other um, dedication to them. So I just want to say thank you. That's really awesome that you had such a, a good experience with your classmates. And yeah, I agree with you. There is still more work to be done. And I know that we've talked about Joyce before, the sailing massage therapist and the Re- respect massage mm-hmm. movement. I know you follow her as well. I think that, yeah. you know, people like her and like you who are willing to educate people to understand how important we are as a part of healthcare, you know, and uh I, I know I, I had told you before about the same thing happening here in Ontario. Our our premier and the minister of health actually could not answer a question in the media when someone asked, why is it that massage therapists are allowed to go back to work and estheticians are not? And they couldn't answer the question. And man, that was a really mm-hmm. like a, a punch in the gut for a lot of therapists here. We're like, really? Like even the minister of health doesn't understand 
that we are a part of the healthcare community. So, um, I mean, thankfully, our our association did write to them to say, you need to correct this and retract that mm-hmm. statement because, no, we're not the same as estheticians. Not that there's anything wrong with estheticians, but we are the not the same. So yep. I understand. And yeah, there is still there's still more work to be done. But I think that people are I think people are becoming more aware of the value, our value. When you get the request for the happy endings and stuff like that, do you uh, tell the fiance, hey, I had this guy today. Wanted me to jerk him off. Yeah, I tell him. He he he's like he's when I get home, I'm like, babe, guess what? Mm. <laughs> he's like, oh my lord, what is she gonna tell me now? <laughs> you believe, babe? These people have the nerve to access a happy ending. Like when you hear it, like from other people, and it happened to them, but when it happened to you, it's like, yo, like, did they really ask me? Like, do yeah. I do a happy ending? Like, and and on the on the same token, I had a, a client come up to me and say, are you my therapist? I'm like. Yes, I'm your therapist because I'm short and I'm curvy. And they're looking at me like, and I don't look my age. They're like, oh, oh my God, like she's really going to, you know, work in the, in the, in the <laughs> session with me. I'm like, yes, like don't judge the book by its cover. And then the man comes in and he's like, so I'm going to give you a few minutes to undress to the level of your comfort. I'm going to step out the room. So you're not going to be in the room with me to undress? No. Like, oh boy. no. Like, and I, <laughs> and I say like, these people would try you. Like, they were really, really trying you. Like, yeah, sure. oh my gosh. Like, man is shaking your head. <laughs> I am shaking my head. Why are you head? shaking your head just out of curiosity? I'm just shaking my head because, again, like, it's, are there gonna, are places. Are you going to pervert can, shame right now? I'm going to pervert shame a little bit. Okay. There are places you can go for this. If you want to pay for sex, you go Go ahead. Right. Sex, sex work go, is real work. Exactly. It's still work. Go ahead. Right? And go there's places that you can get sex work. Yeah. I'm not going to pervert shame the not guy. Your, it's not the registered therapist or the licensed therapist yeah, yeah. that you should be going to see. Mm-hmm. Just go and see the, someone that does And that. some of the people that do it, we've talked about this on other episodes, it would be different if it was like, not that it would make the therapist any less uncomfortable, but mm-hmm. the when you walk into a place and your therapist is going through a whole health history and it's, you know, there's trigger point charts and muscle charts on the wall, like, you mm-hmm. know where you mm-hmm. are. So when you're, you're yep. trying to push that boundary and ask for the happy ending to mm. a registered therapist, right, you right, know right, what right. you're doing and it's, it's very disrespectful. Okay, I get it. So, I mean, you want to go pay for sex. I have no problem with yeah. that. Go do you, mm-hmm. but it's not, we don't want to do you. <laughs> do not come exactly. to us and then, and then they'll touch and then they'll touch certain points to see if you could massage like why would you have me near your groin like why would you like why would you do that that hasn't happened to me because that's goodness. where my headache but is but I've heard from other clients like <laughs> no <laughs> <laughs> I am I am a masseuse for one man and that is the man that I'm marrying that is it I don't I take my profession <laughs> very seriously like I yep. take it seriously and I'm like are you serious you gonna really ask me why I'm not staying in the room with you and you're getting undressed? And when I tell my fiance these stories, he's like, "Babe, people will try you. Maybe they're gonna try you. Yep. to see if if you're willing to get your license removed." That's right. And I'm like, "Well, they ain't happening." And your new your like, new line is, "I charge by the inch," and for you, it looks like it's free. Oh. <laughs> that'll make that'll make that'll make a dude pull up his pants really fucking fast. Well, I had a I had a guy hit on me a couple of weeks ago. I told Mark about it right after it happened. But I had this guy. Um, I didn't even realize what was happening. Like that's how oblivious I am. Because normally when I'm out, like I don't have guys hitting on me or. But anyway, this guy. It finally it finally clicked to me that this guy was hitting on me, and he asked me like, "Oh, what do you do?" And I said I was a massage therapist. He's like, "Oh, that's exciting." 
And I was like, eh, not really. And I, I can't remember what the whole conversation was. But basically, he said, like, well, what if I wanted to date a massage therapist? And I was like, probably not a good idea because massage therapists don't tep- typically treat their significant others. And he was like, oh, he goes, well, what if I wanted to date a massage therapist who's married and we are just discreet about it? That's when it like hit me. I was like, oh, oh he's talking about me. And I was like, uh, no, that's not going to work. And I said, actually, massage therapists are highly ethical people. And he's like, oh, that's a turn off. I'm like, yep. See ya. <laughs> Fucking guys. They would try you like and they don't care. They don't care if you're married. No, they don't care they don't if you're care. engaged. They don't care. Like they really, really <laughs> not care. And you know, I had we had family and friends who like, you know, and asked my fiance, like, yo, how do you date a massage therapist? Like, yo, your girls get paid for like touching people for a living. And my fiance is like, I'm not going to even dig, like dignify that with an answer because it's more than her just touching people. Like, you know, it just shows that you have to be secure, you know, when you're tight, when you're dealing with a person as a massage therapist for a living, yeah. but it's an actual living. Like it's a health science living. Like it's proven fact. Like it's not like I'm just touching people just for the hell of it, but it still shows people ignorance towards the field. And that's why I say like, you know, platforms such as self continue to raise awareness. You know, it can kind of change people's minds in a way too so i hope so do you want to give out any contact information before we wrap up today if anybody wants to follow you on any of your social media platforms if people are interested in your book like do you have something that you can give Mm -hmm. out sure um you guys can follow me on instagram dom carson 90 you can also follow my massage instagram d carson lmt and you can follow me on twitter Dom Carson and on my LinkedIn is Dominique M. Carson. Awesome. Well, we will definitely tag you when we put out this episode. And again, thank you again for sending us an email. Um, I know I say this on other episodes, like if you know, if you're listening and you are a listener and you think you have an interesting story to tell, send us an email. You know, sometimes it takes me a little while to get back to people, but you know, we're, we're always happy to talk to people who have something interesting to say. And it was really fun getting to know Dom and talking to her. And I'm, you know, I'm always happy to hear anybody's stories. You can learn something from everybody. For sure. For sure. <laughs> Don't walk out the shopping cart in Virginia. <laughs> yeah, that's what I mean. <laughs> I'm kidding, I'm kidding. Right on, this has been fun. This has been fun. Thanks for hanging out with us today. Thank you. You guys have been listening to Two Massage Therapists in a Microphone. Peace.